Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Banking on Innovation podcast. Today's guest is a truly remarkable leader, and I'm sure you will take personal inspiration from his comments. Brent Beardall, welcome to the podcast. Jody, thank you so much for happening, having me here today. Uh, look forward to this conversation, and I will do my best to live up to your introduction. Very kind of you. <laughs> so by way of background, Brent Beardall is the president and chief executive officer of Wafed Bank. Wafed is the second largest bank headquartered in the Pacific Northwest with over $22 billion in assets and 200 branches in eight states. The bank is acknowledged in America's best banks list by both Newsweek and Forbes. Now, Brent, you and I met at a bank CEO event, and you know you were instantly very gracious and authentic. But then I saw your, your LinkedIn account, and it says, I'm the luckiest person alive. I said, okay, this is someone I need to emulate. So thank you for that personal inspiration. Yeah, well, it's true, brother. Uh, that's all I can say. The 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 very interesting thing is, uh, be careful what you wish for, right? Uh, that that is my, that has been my philosophy in life for a long time because I feel that way. I I love what I get to do, and most importantly, who I get to do it with. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these golf hats. Uh, they're the golf hats with the clover on it. The, the, the brand is Live Lucky. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, my philosophy, right? It's, it's a choice. Uh, sometimes bad things happen, and it's a choice what you do uh, in, in the aftermath, if you will. Uh, but this year, obviously, uh, that came to a whole different level of meeting uh, for me personally. And so uh, that, I, I am happy to debate with anyone uh, that I am the luckiest man alive, and I am so grateful for it. It's just such an amazing, amazing perspective. You know, you read all personal development books and improvement books, but really it boils down to what you just said. Just really appreciate what you have. And let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper to your personal story as well. So we all know you've accomplished some amazing things in your career, and I'm sure much more to come as well. But you also went through a life experience and a tragedy that most people just can't imagine. You survived a tragic plane crash in Utah in January of this year. So share with our audience, if you will, how, how has your perspective changed in both life and in leadership? Yeah, so on January 2nd, we were going down to the Rose Bowl and a good friend of mine uh, owned the plane and we were going down to meet up with another friend at the Rose Bowl. So we were leaving uh, Provo, Utah, going to fly down to the Rose Bowl, go to the Rose Bowl for the day, and then come back to Utah. Uh, there was uh, some snow flurries that were happening. Uh, my friend, the pilot, was a very experienced pilot. He had over 2,000 hours on that plane himself, and I would describe him as absolutely meticulous when it comes to safety. He uh, cut no corners, and um, there were four of us on the plane, uh, the pilot, myself, the pilot's wife and a coworker of mine uh, from our Utah commercial team. And uh, so we take off and everything's well and good. Uh, we're about 200 feet in the air, going about 200 miles an hour. You know, we're at a pretty steep climb, everything's going good. Then all of a sudden it's not. Um, and that is one of my lessons here is how quickly things can change in life. Uh, it, it doesn't get much better than that. You're kind of going along and then all of a sudden, 
for whatever reason, uh, and the NTSB is still doing their investigation, the plane barrel rolled left uh, and down. And to the point that the tip of the wing started scraping on the runway, and then the nose of the plane uh, plowed headfirst into the ground at about 200 miles an hour. And uh, being in the cockpit, that was uh, a precarious position to be in. Uh, the pilot passed on impact. I was injured severely and the, the planes uh, proceeded to roll about 10 to 15 times. And I sustained uh, life-threatening injuries um, and uh, went on to the, the hospital and then uh, two days of surgery, uh, after which the um, orthopedic surgeon came and saw, saw, sought out my family and said, I've never seen such a mangled body survive. Wow. And we went on from there after two days of surgery uh, to basically overcome everything. Now we're fast forward, we're 11 months later, and I'm probably 90% of where I was physically, basically walking without a limp. I've got more metal in my body than I care to admit. Um, still don't have feeling in parts of my body, but I'm so grateful to be here. That That is my overwhelming sentiment. So that's a long-winded way of kind of framing the picture. Uh, what, what has changed for me, my friend, is an appreciation for life. I've always had a zest for life, but an appreciation for every single day. It's a gift. The fact that we're able to have this conversation is a gift. And really to try to take every day and what can I do to impact others' lives? That's so powerful. And I, you know, we can tell just, you know, how, how authentic you are, Brent. And you also hope that we don't have to go through this kind of life experience to appreciate what you just said. I've had a lot of people approach me and, you know, this is something else entirely. Well, you're going to change the way you live, right? You're not going to work anymore. You're going to retire and uh, you're, you're not going to fly on airplanes anymore. And, I, I, and no, you can't live that way. You can't live, at least this is my perspective, right? And there, there's no yeah. right answer. This is just my perspective. You, you can't live your life in bubble wrap. If you really want to try to make an impact, don't be reckless, but live your life in such a way and, and don't do it out of fear, do it out of gratitude. And uh, it, it's it's really an amazing uh, perspective and it's it, it, it brings light in even the darkest days. Well, I think, Brent, you could probably run your own inspiration podcast, but <laughs> just given that, that story and your experience. So you, you've returned, you returned a week just uh, to work just six weeks after your, your accident. How has your leadership approach evolved since returning to the CEO role full time? You know, probably the most important thing any CEO can do is be the chief caretaker of your culture. For me, your culture is how you live your life. Really, the best thing to me to define culture, are you surrounded with people that care? To me, that is culture. If you are surrounded with people that care about themselves, which is integrity, do they care about the clients and the client experience? Do they care about making a difference? And so that is what one of the things that's really changed in terms of my leadership is recognizing what culture is and what it isn't 
and really trying to celebrate what's happened from a cultural standpoint in the past, but to provide opportunities where we can build that culture going forward. Yeah. So to me, that's one of the things that I've really been able to focus in more on. And the timing was fantastic, quite frankly, because I, I got back in uh, the middle of March and then, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a banking crisis, right? And, and what's more important in a banking crisis than having a team uh, at the bank that believes in what you're doing, why you're doing it, so they can really instill confidence in your customers. Fascinating. Are you actually able, Brent, to even look at certain experiences that you create for customers, let's say positive ones, or where you may have had a gap in the experience and tie it back to the culture of the company in terms of how people operate and what they believe in? Yeah, it's anecdotal, but it certainly, right? Uh, so, so one of the things that we believe in and, you know, hats off to First Republic, who has now failed, they led the industry in net promoter score. Um, at the end of the day, that's what we're about. We, we, we have to create raving fans. If we're not creating raving fans, we've got a problem. Yeah. If you look at where we uh, were five years ago, we were a net promoter score of a 17, which is not bad for a regional bank. And we have really focused on our clients and our client experience. And we've been able to make step strides each year to where this year we hit our all-time high in terms of net promoter score of 57. And um, some of the anecdotes that come with those uh, scores, uh, one of them really stood out to me. Um, a woman who was having some issues with some fraud on her debit card, she said, Thank you so much for working with me, for taking care of the fraud, for putting the money back in my account. I really felt for the first time in my life, like the bank had my back. It's a very powerful story. Like you said, it's about employees that care and also a bank approach that really looks out for its customers. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But first, let's get your view from your vantage point as CEO of a very progressive regional bank. How do you think the industry is set up to perform over the next 18 to 24 months? And in particular, what, what do you see, Brent, as some of the headwinds and the tailwinds as well? Yeah, you know, I think we have weathered a remarkable storm. Uh, as you know, the reality in the United States banking, uh, we're a fractional banking system. So uh, banks fail because of runs on the bank and runs happen because of a crisis of confidence. So at uh, Silicon Valley, from my perspective, uh, there was some mismanagement and they failed because they should have failed. Uh, that mismanagement was coupled with hubris. We could have an entire podcast on, on what caused that, but they failed because they should have failed. But then I think there was a disastrous decision on part of the FDIC. On that Friday afternoon when they failed Silicon Valley, when they made the decision, no, not all depositors are going to be made whole. That sent fear and panic throughout the industry. Everyone who had uninsured deposits said, is my money safe? That decision alone literally caused the failure of First Republic Bank because they were uh, guilty of having a whole lot of uninsured deposits. And so, uh, 
thankfully, the FDIC realized uh, the error in their ways. And within 48 hours, they said, no, 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 just kidding. We're going to make everyone whole, which was absolutely the right decision to make. But it sent panic uh, throughout the industry. And people, we really created this, you know, two-tier banking system. The two big to fail banks where customers believe they have the implicit guarantee of the United States government, which basically they set the line at $100 billion because that's where uh, Signature Bank was that failed and they were guaranteed. And then everyone else, which is un-American and wrong, and, and we won't go into that, but that's the reality of what we're uh, dealing with. So you had this really this terrible time in uh, the spring and early summer where you had the deposit flows from the mid-sized banks. And those deposits were largely going to the largest banks and uh, money market funds and U.S. Treasuries, for that matter. Uh, but we've gotten through that. Uh, and stability has uh, come back to the system. Confidence is back in the system. So I, I think the industry overall has done a very good job. And if you look at the under, underlying fundamentals of banking in the United States, I don't know that we've ever been a bit in a better position from a capital perspective. Liquidity mm. is strong. Um, and let's face it, we're what about 12 years since the last major credit cycle. So we're, we're robust with our reserve uh, for allowance. So headwinds, as I look at it, clearly uh, what happens to the economy? What does the uh, you know, landing look like? Is it a soft landing? Does the economy continue to go up or is there a recession? But e even if we go down the path where it's the uh, you know, worst case scenario where we have a significant recession, I think the banks are unbelievably well prepared for it. Yeah, right. Overall, uh, having gone through what we went through, I think the state of the bank or the state of banking in the United States is incredibly strong, uh, but we are at this really tipping point from a technology standpoint, which I know mm. is near and dear yeah. to your heart, because consumers yeah. expect us as banks to deliver the same kind of technology that they get from Apple, that they get from Amazon, that they now increasingly get from Microsoft, and that's a really tall bar for us as banks, and and we need to up our game. You know, there's there's a number of these, uh, let's say, oh, just macro trends and influences that are happening. The rising rate environment, um, the the pace of innovation, and the legacy technology stacks that may be holding some some banks back uh, at the pace they want to operate at. Even the embracing of open banking and more control in the hands of customers, control of their data and their experiences. Um, the pace of change, all of those things, one would think that it's contributing to a greater disparity between leaders and laggards. Not to mention, by the way, what you said, which is the migration, significant migration towards digital and the cost-constrained environment, putting you know more emphasis on choosing the right investments as well. So do you believe that we will see greater separation between leaders and laggards? And, and what do you think will contribute to the disparity? In other words, what will the leaders really be able to do better than the laggards? Yeah, I, no question. I think we're seeing that uh, a greater disparity and look no further than what is the customer experience at banks. Uh, it's when you have JP Morgan spending, what are they spending? I think $12 billion a year on technology. On tech. Yeah. I, how can a bank 
like us, we're 22 billion and, and we're a fairly good sized bank. How can we, all right, yeah. we're 22 billion in assets. Uh, yeah, how can we keep up? And uh, I think it's going to lead a lot of the smaller banks, banks that are so far behind to essentially raise the white flag and say, we can't compete. And so we're, we're going to have to partner with someone else that can help us. So th there will be that continued uh, wedge driven between those. But it, it's all about the client experience and what can you deliver for the client from my perspective. So we, we were faced with that same quandary, right? Okay, you know, uh, when I became CEO in 2017, I'd already been with the bank for, you know, 16 years. I knew the bank well, had an incredible respect for the bank, but our technology was awful. Literally, people did business with us in spite of our technology. That right. was just, we said, hey, this is who we're going to be. We're going to be a low cost producer and our technology is going to suck. And, mm -hmm. you know, we'll lose a few customers and that's okay. And uh, when I had the good fortune of taking over as CEO, I got with our board and I said, you know, we can ride this out another five, 10, 15 years, but this is not a viable right. long-term solution. Uh, we, we need to make the investments and we need to, I, I, the way I made my pitch was, hey, this is an unbelievable opportunity for us because we're going to be able to skip generations of technology. And we're going to be able to go to technology that's more nimble and more powerful than ever before and really be able to compete with the biggest banks. And so uh, thankfully, I have an unbelievably supportive board. And not only did they support me, they said, Brent, aim higher. Uh, we, we need to do uh, a better, right? And that, that's where we launched what we call Vision 2025, which is to become a digital first bank, not a digital only. We still believe in relationships. Relationships are paramount. They're fundamental. And I think they'll only become more so uh, as the digital age continues to progress. But you have to give people the option to bank when, where, and how they want. And they can't have a material step down in their experience between what they do at Amazon and Facebook and Google and you name it compared to their bank. And if they do, quite frankly, they're going to look to bank somewhere else. So you have to be able to deliver that. And uh, thankfully, uh, over the last five years, we've made huge progress in that. And I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. So WAFED, for everybody's benefit, is an institution that's over 100 years old. But as you said, Brent, the greatest transformation has occurred over the last, let's say, five years. And you, you set this vision 2025 to be a digital first institution. And specifically, you call out leveraging data to anticipate customer needs. So what does this vision look like from the customer experience perspective? What will they feel? What will they see and experience? Hopefully it will be seamless. Hopefully it will feel like just what I described that customer talking about, my bank has my back. You think about what the experience is in banking in general today. Jody, I don't know who you bank with. Let's say you bank with Brand X and you banked with them for 15 years and they know everything about you because they have all of your checking account history. They know how much you're getting paid. They typically know when your raises come in, they know when bonuses come in, they know where your bills are, right? And in all likelihood, you use a financial aggregator on that bank. So not only do they get to see what's at your bank, but they get to see all, your entire, you know, uh, financial health, essentially your balance sheet. Uh, but then you say, okay, I want a new loan. 
And the bank says, that's fantastic. Jody, thanks so much for being a customer. Why don't you fill out this application? <laughs> Think how unbelievably antiquated that is. That's essentially the bank giving you the Heisman. <laughs> Wait a second. I know everything about you, but I don't. You, you come and tell me. Wouldn't it be great if once you say, you know, Brent, I want a loan, you say, Jody, thank you so much. Here are the five loans you're qualified for. To me, that feels great, right? When you're on Amazon and it suggests the, a purchase, you're like, oh, that makes sense, right? That's what we want to do with banking is get it to the point that, yeah, that makes sense. My bank is in my corner. And that, that is utilizing data to be able to anticipate our clients' needs. And this is not to oversell this them, not to sell them products they don't need, but to the contrary, be there ready for them in their corner when they need us. We have it and it's really easy, right? Uh, we say all the time, we want to make banking simple, reliable, and fast. No one wakes up and says, hot damn, I can't wait to go bank today, <laughs> right? Just doesn't happen. People say, hot damn, I can't wait to go live my life today. But to live your life, you have to have your financial house in order. So I know this wasn't uh, intended to be a shot, but since you come from University of Washington country and I went to Michigan and those are the number one and number two teams in the country, well, that was the Heisman reference. I, I, I presume that was where that was coming from. <laughs> so we uh, hopefully we'll see each other. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> we'll see each other and you give me too much credit, but I'll take credit for that shot. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, that's, uh, you know, that, that, I love the, the story of what you're trying to build it at Wafed. And, you know, it, it also reminds me of, you know, the movement around, for instance, helping customers just uh, overcome penalty fees. Really, if you, in the, in the, in the story that you, that you expressed, which is if you really understand customers' behaviors and you know their cash flows, then help them identify that you may have a cash flow issue in 10 days because I can see your cash flows. I understand your scheduled activity and your patterns of activity. And we have these three different options for you. Here's how much you need to cover your upcoming cash flows. And by the way, you're pre-approved for it because we already know you. And that's just one example out of many that would indicate that to a customer, from a customer experience that, you know, this bank really knows me. And they're looking out for me, like you were saying. You hit the nail on the head. Or, hey, by the way, Jody's got a, a kid that's now eight years old. I know Jody. He manages money pretty pretty well. He's going to be very interested in teaching his kid about finances. Hey, Jody, we have this uh, Greenlight app that's going to allow you to give your kids a checking account that you manage. How cool is that? Right. So it, it's it's thinking about what can we do to help you help yourself. Very powerful. So what you've already invested in a number of different capabilities, but but what do you see is left for you to invest in, or, or what other kinds of capabilities do you need to deliver on this Vision Twenty Twenty Five experience? You know, one of my great learnings is uh, it's a journey; it's not a destination. Yeah. So it, it, there's there's nothing that's going to say we're there, uh, right? I, that's the way we used to think, and it was completely misguided. And it came from, uh, we've been run by the accountants, and no offense to accountants, I'm an accountant. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, but, you are. <laughs> right? I, that, that's the way we used to think, is you would buy something, you would get it implemented, 
And then you'd put it on its depreciation scale or, and, and you set it and forget it and move on to something else. And right, hey, we, we've, we've, we've hit our technology journey. We're a, a digital first bank and great, let's move on to something. No, you can't do that at all. The reality is you need to implement something and then you need to test it, see how it's going. And then you need to iterate and get it better all the time. Uh, the, the best example of that for us is our website. I firmly believe in today's day and age, your website is your new branch, right? It is the front door. You want people to think, who are you as a bank? Check out your website, which is not rocket science. Everybody thinks the same. But what matters, what I've come to understand is the speed of your website. Five years ago, if you looked at our website, it took eight seconds for the page to load. Eight seconds. That's an eternity. Any industry statistic would tell you if it takes more than four seconds, your abandonment rate is over 50%. People say, wait a second, they don't know what the heck they're doing, right? It's basically saying you have a whole lot of deferred maintenance for your new storefront. So yeah. not only did we upgrade our website, but we now have a team of engineers that on a daily basis is doing everything they can to optimize the speed of our website. And today, wafedbank.com is the fastest website in U.S. banking. We're faster than J.P. Morgan Chase. Mm. Again, it's your front door. You've constantly got to be tweaking it. And it's a totally different mindset than what we were used to before. And part of that mindset, too, is you have to be okay with failure because you're not going to bat a thousand, right? There's going to be some things you take swings at and you miss, but that's okay. Fail small, fail quickly. If you're going to fail, but if you're not failing, you're not taking enough risk. You're not going to advance the ball far enough to be able to deliver an experience where you have a wow. Brent, you were very succinct in saying digital first, not digital only. So talk about the role of the banker and how will the banker benefit from this vision of leveraging data and analytics to benefit customers? The word you used is exactly right. We want to utilize technology to leverage our banker's time, make them more impactful, let them do less busy work and more impactful work. It's relationship give them the information they need. So they're not having to crunch the numbers to figure out what loans Jody's qualified for. Rather, they're just explaining to Jody the benefits of the different types of loans, right? So it, it changes the relationship from a cruncher of the numbers to more of a communicator, right? And to listen, to have that empathy and to really establish that relationship with our clients. And, um, that's where I think the future is for banking. Relationships matter, right? I think this is one you remember uh, Dick Kovacevic, the former CEO of Wells Fargo. Sure. He, he, yeah. he said this back in the day. What are the role of branches? Everybody's seeing a huge decline of people going to branches. So why, Brent, why do you have 200 branches? Because psychologically, branches matter to people. Even if you don't use your branch, Driving by it in your town makes you feel good because you see the branch, you say, that's my bank and that's where my money's at. And if there's a problem, I can go in there. Nobody likes the feeling of, hey, if there's a problem, I'm just going to call 1-800 number. 
And if we do our job 99.8% of the times, there's not going to be a problem. But sometimes in life, there's a problem, right? So we want to empower our team so they can build those relationships, so they can be there to answer the questions when there are the problems. And even better than that, they're just a trusted source. You know, and to take it even a step further, bankers can really benefit from better understanding of the customer as well, not just in the form of here's a marketing lead list to make outbound calls on, but here's a customer that is doing 10x the home improvement shopping this month that they were, you know, over the past. They're probably in a home improvement cycle. Why don't we reach out to them and share with them our content as well as our tools and products that might help somebody as they're engaging in that kind of a cycle. And so arming bankers with this, this, this now these advancements in data analytics can really be very powerful in terms of how they, they interact with customers, not only at the right time, but also in a very informed way. In an informed way, and I keep going back to that word of empowerment. Let, let me share a real life example uh, of someone I know. This guy uh, is a golf professional down in Arizona makes a six-figure income, does quite well. Everybody would say, wow, he's, yeah. life's pretty good. Uh, the reality is life's pretty expensive, and he, he ended up having significant debt uh, to the point that he had uh, also six figures in credit card debt. So he's literally teetering on bankruptcy. And uh, he's a good golfer, a good golf instructor, not great with money management. And... He didn't realize that he could pay off his, you know, 25% credit card loans with a home equity line. He's got that. It's mm. simple. It's it's not rocket yeah. science. This is not new. Yeah. But he doesn't need another website to tell him. He needs someone that he trusts, someone that he has yeah. a relationship with. And that's what yeah. I believe empowering bankers can do is there is so much mistrust out there. You need to have someone you have a relationship with that you trust that says, hey, let me show you what you can do. Yeah, that's terrific. So in, in our meeting that we had, the CEO bank CEO event in the fall, deposits was the primary topic. It probably will continue to be the primary topic for uh, at least for the foreseeable future. And, and Wafed, your deposits have fluctuated over the past two years, been pretty steady in 2023, around 16 billion. Uh, and you've been able to materially grow the, the transaction account percentage as a percentage and ratio to, to uh, time deposit. What, what strategies and tactics is Wafed using to prevail in such a challenging deposit environment? At the end of the day, regional banks can provide a different level of service to clients than the trillion dollar banks. That's just reality. So I, I believe the opportunity will flow back uh, to regional banks. So I, I'm optimistic for, for our future. But the key is, from my perspective, is to provide technology that makes people go, wow. Makes people say, mm. that's cool. I, 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 call me crazy, but I want to deliver technology to people that when they're at a cocktail party, they say, hey, look what my bank can do. So that's cool. That's a great ambition. It would make it would make most of us it would make most of us much cooler at cocktail parties. Yeah, yeah, I, I, no, I get it, and I'm not very cool at cocktail parties. So, Jody, if you'll humor me, 
let, let me show you something that we built ourselves um, that, to my knowledge, we're the only bank in the country uh, that has it today. Uh, I think Schwab has it for their brokerage. But let me see if this works and you can hear it on the audio. Welcome to Wafat Bank. In order to authenticate using your voice, please say, my password is my voice, and then press any key to continue. My password is my voice. Hi, Brett. How can I help you today? You can say things like, what's my balance? So that is so stinking cool, Jody, because we talk all the time about artificial intelligence. That, that's just one small example. Hi, Brent. How can I help you? So you're utilizing technology to personalize the client experience. You name anyone you call for a customer service where it knows you, right? That's pretty darn cool. And the really the cool thing, number one, is the security of it. Because it's multi-factor authentication. It has to be my voice from my phone. We know with artificial intelligence, they can duplicate your voice, but it has to be your voice from your phone. So it's multi-factor authentication. But the really cool thing, you are now in online banking with your voice. It's a game changer. People love it, right? So it's, it's just the incremental technology on the edges that can differentiate you, set you apart in a positive way. I think that's the key for us in terms of driving transaction uh, accounts to WAFED is they say, wait a second, here's a bank that I understand how strong they are from a financial standpoint. We always say your balance sheet is your destiny. We feel great about our financial condition. But if then we can have technology that makes people go, wow, that actually improves people's lives, makes it easy to bank. I think market share is available for us to take. You know, it makes it very, very cool when you can translate that into a direct customer experience and impact, right? Very powerful stories. What I also love is, you know, your accountant train came up through the CFO track, and yet you're so passionate about digital and technology, which now all CEOs need to be, regardless of what your, your uh, originations were, right? Yeah. Where you originated from. Every bank CEO needs to be very savvy in digital and tech now. Yeah, and it, it, it has to be more than talk, right? You, you have to walk the talk, if you will. It's it's a whole lot more than saying, hey, we're choosing this vendor and this is what we're doing, right? You, you've, you've got to figure it out. And to me, that is the key, is we've built a system that we can find cool technologies. And I say, hey, we want to plug and play that. And my goal is, and I believe we're there, where we can implement a new technology in less than 60 days. I, I am so tired as a CEO saying, hey, I choose brand X, I want brand X to do my online banking. Okay, that's gonna be a two and a half year project plan. Are you kidding me? The entire world changes in two and a half years. I don't even know if I'm gonna to wanna to choose you. <laughs> right? But, but that, that, that is the unfortunate reality of normal banking core systems and what it's gonna be. And, I will gladly pay more for a solution that kicks ass, that impresses clients, and I don't have a long-term contract. What does a long-term contract tell me? A long-term contract tells me the vendor isn't confident in their solution. They want to lock me in because they think I'm going to find something else better. And if I find something else better, I want to be able to replace it. Because back to what we talked about, it's not a destination, and we constantly have to be making improvements in our client experience. 
Where else would you like to improve your deposit experience? Is it around product, tools, capability, knowledge, all of the above? Where, yeah, where are you trying to improve that experience? All of the above. Everywhere we look, we can make improvement. We have teams that we say, we call them the fighting friction teams, right? We try to look at and we say, where where is the friction for our clients and how can we fight that friction? And it's really tough in banking because naturally there's some friction uh, because of regulation. Yeah. So there's some friction that it's, it is just what it is, but there's always areas that we can, you know, uh, you know, sand down the rough edges. So uh, across the board, we can get better. So Brent, that leads me to the final question. Uh, again, given your, your vantage point, it'll be great to hear your perspective on this and also your, your passion around the customer. What do you think? that customers will expect from their primary bank in the next three to five years for which the industry isn't so well prepared? You know, I, I think, I think the customers will expect a one-stop seamless financial experience. Uh, customers are going to expect to be able to easily pay their bills when, where, and how they want and not worry about whether, you know, Brent, your, uh, your bill payment doesn't have all the vendors on it, so you're going to actually need to cut a check. Customers are going to be irate with the fact they find out that you're cutting check to 30% of the vendors that you're paying. They're going to expect it to be seamless. They're going to expect that you have, um, you know, everything integrated with one another, right? Um, two years ago, if you had banked with us, you'd have 17 different passwords if you utilize all of our systems, 17 different passwords. Mm. And, and today we've integrated everything using uh, a vendor. It's worked out very well. There's one password, right? So you, you, you go in and in your online banking, you have all of your credit card data. It all needs to be integrated seamlessly together. You can't be going to a different frame for credit yeah. cards than you do for banking. It all has to be integrated one with another. Uh, it, we really just have to make it seamless for our clients to do what they want with their money. And it's one of the things that I laughed that, you know, there was some blowback, I think, at our CEO conference where we met about regulators saying, you know, should we put in some speed bumps, right? We, we saw Silicon Valley Bank lost 26% of their deposits in one day. Should we put in speed bumps to keep people from moving their money so quickly? That is one of the stupidest ideas I've ever heard, quite frankly. <laughs> it's their money. That's the that's the friction finding team putting in more friction. People should have access to their money 24/7. It's their money. If we give them the tools to use, utilize their money, make smart decisions and the confidence in us, they will reward us with more deposits. Great. Well, Brent, I really want to thank you, you know, from a from a business standpoint, I and many others are cheering for very progressive institutions and forward-leading institutions such as WAFED. And from a personal standpoint, I just want to thank you for the for the salient wisdom and uh, and and knowledge and experiences that you shared. And and frankly, just being a source for inspiration, which I know people will take away from this podcast. Jody, uh, sincerely enjoyed our our hour together. Thanks for this opportunity. And, and thanks for, you know, helping me to think clearly about how I want to lead and where we want to go. And, 
you know, we are so blessed to have the, the podiums we have and the megaphones we have. Let's work together and do some good. Sounds great. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for joining another episode of Banking on Innovation. Make sure you subscribe to get future podcast episodes or follow us on Twitter at Personetics or on Personetics.com. Thank you.